Today we're talking about the battle is the Lord's, which is a phrase that David used in the battle with Goliath. This is such a familiar story. I mean, everybody's heard this story a lot of times. And so, you know, I don't want you to fall asleep. You might, though. Maybe you need to rest more than you need to hear from God. I don't know. But I do feel like the Lord's given me something. I, there's, this phrase, this phrase just kept resonating in my mind uh, as I was preparing this over this week. This phrase, the battle is the Lord's. And how vital it is that we get a hold of that. That is such a powerful truth that the battles that you're facing, you don't face alone. The battles that you're facing are not your battles. They're God's battles because you're his. It's kind of like if your kids are in the middle of a battle, it's your battle, right? Because <laughs> they're yours. It doesn't stop because they leave the house. You still feel like if they've got a battle, it's my battle. So we'll talk about this today. First Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko and Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Soko and Ezekiah. Saul and his rights assembled in camp in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So now you all that I've written all those, read all those names know exactly where that is, right? So it's, a, it's just a, it's a valley in Judah. And so there's, there's a hill, a hill. You know, I'm sorry, every now and then Abilene sneaks in. I try to work on it, but a hill, there's a hill, and it had water. Uh, it's there, I'm sorry. Uh, so they're on both sides of a hill, and they're prepared for battle in the valley. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span, nine feet, nine inches tall. That's pretty tall. You know, that's about three foot taller than the tallest person in here, at least. So, and there's, you know, it's, this, is, this is unusual, but we still see really tall people. We're seeing actually more really tall people now. There's a lot of eight foot people now. Some even, you know, some, some of them even play basketball, but they don't all play basketball, but some of them do. There's a lot of eight foot plus tall people. One of the tallest recently was eight foot 11 in 1918. He only lived to be 22 years old because it's all, and he had to wear braces on his legs because he did, just didn't have good circulation. He, uh, and that's a problem of being, uh, being that big. So Nine feet, nine tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels, 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. That would be, that'd be a, a shin guard that would cover the knee so that when you raise up your knee, you know, it's very important that your knee, knee joint be covered, uh, would be covered. Bronze greaves. Uh, where was I? And a bronze javelin, because this is the end of this is right at the end of the bronze age, beginning of the iron age, when iron begins to be a part of weaponry and implements. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed six hundred shekels, fifteen pounds. So he had a, you know, not only the the spear itself. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood, and did I say everything? I think I missed something. And its iron point weighed six hundred pounds. Yeah, 
So it's iron-pointed spear. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood in the shadow of the ranks of Israel. Why do you, why do, why do you come out line for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servant of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. Now, I want you to remember this. What does he say? If you fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. Then he said, you know, but if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. In other words, they were, that's like, they were scared and they were scared. They were worried, they were fearful, and they were, they were afraid. So for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now, that's a long time. So they've gathered for battle, and for 40 days, uh, you know, they're kind of, they all get dressed up in the morning. They all go, oh, we're going to kill y'all, we're going to kill y'all, you know, and all that tough. And then Goliath would come out and make his statement, and the Israelites were like, okay, well, we'll talk about this tomorrow. Uh, so for 40 days, nothing's happened. Now, it makes me think that the, the troops must have been fairly evenly matched because neither one of them is willing to l- launch into a raid that's going to overtake the other one. So they're both, they're both thinking, huh, you know, yeah, we've got Goliath, but, you know, how many, can we really win this battle? Israel's thinking the same way. Can we really win this battle? So they're not, they're not anxious to start the battle. And nobody's anxious. Nobody's wanting to go against Goliath. And who would be the most natural person to go against Goliath would be Saul, the king. Because Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. So Saul was taller than everyone else in Israel. So you would think, okay, if he's going to go against a tall guy, let's, let's send our tall guy. But it was Saul, and he was the king, and he was like, well, let's send somebody else. Uh, so... So, so they're just waiting for 40 days. Now, 40 is kind of a, is a, is a biblical number that has some significance. Uh, we see it, the first times we see 40 days and 40 nights when it rains. 40 days and 40 nights. So 40 often symbolizes the, the end of something and the beginning of something. The end of something and the beginning of something. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because the generation that would not go into the promised land because of giants, they were afraid to go into the promised land. All of that generation had to die off so that another generation could go in. That was 40 years. So it was the end of one generation moving into the ones that wouldn't go in and the ones that would go into the promised land, the the thing that God was wanting to accomplish. Jesus was tempted for 40 days before his ministry. So before Jesus began his ministry, he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days. And then we know that Jesus, after his death and his resurrection, he walked around among his disciples for 40 days before he ascended to the Father. So it's the end of something, the beginning of something new. This is also the end of something. This is the the beginning of the reign of David. This is the beginning of of the messianic rule. Jesus is the king that sits on the throne of the lineage of David. So this kingdom never ends of the kingdom of David. So this is the beginning of the line of the tribe of Judah being on the throne. So, so David's about 15 years old. 12. 
uh, in time, probably. Uh, when Saul was anointed king, it was 12 years before David was born. Saul was 30, 30 years old when he was anointed king. 12 years, 12 years later, Saul, David is born. He's 42. 15 years later, this is 15 years later, Saul's 57. He is 15 or so. Okay? So, so David gets sent on an errand. Now, Jesse said to his son David, who's about 15, take this ephath, ephath, ephah, of roasted, I don't know how you say it, ephah, of roasted grain. It's, it's three bushels. Why didn't say three bushels? I don't know. And 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and herd the camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of the unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance for them. There with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So Jesse just says, hey, go check on your brothers and take them some food. You know, they've been out there 40 days. They're getting hungry. So take them some supplies. So David could have said, you know, because he's 15. I don't know if you remember most 15-year-olds are pretty smart-mouthed. You know, Mark Twain said, uh, when a kid turns 13, put him in a barrel and feed him through a hole in the barrel. So when they turn 15, plug up the hole. So, so I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've encountered many 15-year-olds lately, but most of them are pretty, uh, uh, pretty smart-mouthed. So he could have said, hey, I don't know if you remember this. Hey, Dad, uh, Pops, old buddy, old pal. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but a few months ago, I don't know if you remember this, but Samuel, the prophet of God, came and visited us. And, uh, and I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, uh, he picked me to be the next king of Israel. And he anointed me with all. And I don't think that maybe the king should be running errands. Maybe you should do this. Right? I mean, he could have said that, but he did the thing he'd always done because it was his heart. He honored his father by his obedience. This is, he had been faithful over the sheep. He was faithful over this task. Faithful, faithfulness doesn't care about the smallness of the task or who gets the honor. Faithfulness doesn't care if a task is small or big. It just is going to do it. Luke 16, 10 says... Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, but whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. God wants you to learn how to be faithful with what you've got before he'll bless you with more. You need to be faithful with the gifts and the talents, the abilities, the resources that God gives you. Use what you have. Don't say, well, when I get a bigger house, I'm going to use it for small groups. When I have nicer stuff. You know what that means? That means no, and you won't do it. I've been around too long. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it when you get better and nicer. But the people who say, hey, everything I have belongs to God, and I'm going to use it for his glory. And if you don't think it's nice enough for you, well, you need to join another life group. Right? So God wants us to be faithful where we are. And here's the thing. There's no way of knowing when an insignificant task is going to have significance. David David didn't start this day thinking, well, I'm going to take these supplies down to my brothers. And then, you know, if I get some free time, I might kill a giant. 
You know, I don't know. It depends on what happens. He had no idea of how significant that this was a life-changing event for him. Just as the anointing, his anointing by Samuel was a life-changing event, actually this event begins to put into place that anointing. So what seemed insignificant, doing our best where we are is so important because it is where we are that God often prepares us for where we are going to be. So we do our best where we are. We work as, as under the Lord where we are. Every task should be done as if it's going to have eternal significance because it does, right? So early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to battle position, shouting the war cry. So they're all, everybody's got their armor on. They're all gathered up. You know, they're like, we're so tough. Y'all are a bunch of sissies, you know, just as they do. And have you ever, <laughs> you know, have you ever noticed, you know, you ever see those YouTube videos where two guys act like they're going to fight, but they never fight. You know, they just like, they just talk trash to each other. And that's what they're doing. They're, no one really wants to fight, but they, you know, they want to act tough. He reached camp. His army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the camp of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. Hey, how are you doing? And then, as they were talking with him, Goliath, the Philistine champion, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So everybody scatters. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see this man coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. I think some of you, if I said to you, I'm going to if you'll go fight the giant, I'll exempt you from taxes. Some of you would say, oh, I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm, I'm telling you, this property tax is killing me, you know, <laughs> right? So David asked the men standing him, did I get that right? What will be done for the son who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should divide the armies of the living God? I said, is he going to talk about that again? What does this mean? This uncertain, well, this is the covenant symbol to the children of Israel. Circumcision is the covenant symbol. We were at this conference and uh, Jimmy Evans was talking about circumcision in another context and, and he kept doing this with his hands. He, like, he was like doing a circumcision. And finally he, he caught himself and he said, I gotta, I gotta stop doing that. Uh, <laughs> But it's the covenant symbol. In other words, it, def it defined Israel. If you were an Israelite, you were circumcised. Nobody else of all the nations of the earth were circumcised. They just see the need. But this was God's covenant symbol. It's a crazy symbol, right? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should... No, he's not because he's checked. You know, he's, he just knows because he's a Philistine should defy the armies of the living God. <laughs> There's actually was a problem in the new, in the new never mind, never mind. 
They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. So they repeat to him, you're going to get wealth, you're going to get a wife to help you spend that wealth, and, and you'll get no taxes. Then Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man. He burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? So he's demeaning his brother. He's saying, you know what? You just take care of a few sheep. You know, you're the loser of the family. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down to watch the battle. He said, I know you left the sheep, so you come down to see the fight. I mean, who would not think that coming down to watch a battle would be more exciting than watching sheep? Right? Now, you got you to realize Eliab is resentful just a little bit. He's jealous that David was chosen king because when Samuel went into the house and he saw Eliab, the oldest, the firstborn, and he saw that he was tall like Saul, he assumed that he was going to be the king. And you can imagine that, that like he's about to anoint him. So he walks in the room and Samuel's got his horn and oil. He's like, well, I'm going to, and God says, nope, not him. And Samuel's like, you got any, you know, so he, so Eliab's like almost gets anointed king, but he doesn't. And so now he's jealous. He's jealous because his brother is. He resents the fact that his brother, especially the baby brother, you know, has been anointed king. Can you be happy for other people when they get what you wanted? They say that you wanted to get married, and they get married. You can't understand why you can't get married. Because you think, my goodness, that guy was ugly as a post. How did he get that woman? I don't, I, and you look in the mirror and you think, I'm not as ugly as he was. I can't believe it. He was much uglier than me. I should be able to get married. I understand it. So, you know, but you, but you resent it. Or, or, or if, if you can't get pregnant... And you want to get pregnant. Everybody's pregnant. Even the men. The way they're probably thinking, I think he's pregnant. <laughs> I think he's about six months along. I'm not sure. Uh, or they get the job. In other words, when we look at other people's lives, if we're not careful, we think their life is easier. Because we don't know what they're really going through. I mean, most of us, because when we walk in here and somebody says, how you're doing, you don't tell them. You don't say, well, here, here's the list. Read that and get back with me. You know. The IRS is about to take the house and the business, you know, some sort of thing. We don't. We don't. We, what do we say? We say, fine. So unless you really delve into what somebody's going through, you don't understand that the struggles that are going on, that Laura's struggles with the immigration services and, and you know, all, just all the stuff that we're the stuff of life, we, you know, every, every mule thinks their load is the heaviest. Great proverb, if you take you a while to let it sink in a little bit, okay. I did just call you a mule, so. <laughs> so, so we have to be careful. We don't want, let, want jealousy to make our hearts small. We want jealousy to cause us where we can't rejoice with other people. The Bible even says this, rejoice with those who rejoice. There's a t when people get blessed and people even get the blessings that you want, they got the house, they got the car, they got the job, they got things are going their way, things are happening their way. 
you still don't know what's going on in the rest of their life. You still don't know the pain they're going through. So when they, there's something to rejoice with them, rejoice. And we need to mourn with them, mourn with them. We need that. We need to be able to cry with the people that are hurting and rejoice with the people that are rejoicing. So David gets before King Saul. Now, what have I done? He says to Eliab, can I even speak? Sounds like a family squirrel. Uh, squabble squirrel. Family squirrel. <laughs> you know, family squirrel. Uh, he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Why? Because Saul is looking for a solution. And he doesn't want to be him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out and fight this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. He said, you know, 15 years old. This guy has, he's got 15 years of experience. He's been fighting since he was your age. You don't have any ability. Plus, I don't know if you noticed, he's a giant. You don't have a chance. But David said, carry it to Saul. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Now, a shepherd carried a sling and a stick. I don't consider that valid weapons against a bear or a lion. When we were, when we were in Alaska, they showed... They showed just not a grizzly, but a black bear, which was this would be the kind of bear that would be in Israel. A black bear, not a grizzly bear, but just a black bear. Uh, and, and it had a nice grouping of shots right in its forehead, three nice shots in its forehead that did not penetrate the skull. I mean, the, I, you know, then what do you do? Is <laughs> like, well... That didn't work. So he's got a stick. So what's he do? He goes and hits the bear with the stick or the lion with the stick so that it lets go of the sheep. And then it turns on him to kill him. And then somehow, with the Lord's help, he kills the bear and a lion. I don't know. I think a bear and a lion are scarier than a giant to me. But anyway, much quicker. So your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear and will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, it was nice knowing you. (laughs) I mean, think about it. He's thinking, well, go and the Lord be with you. He's thinking, this kid, I'll never see him again. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. In other words, he had the same kind of male, uh, chain mail armor to put over. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he's not used to him. He said, I can't go in these because I have not used them. I'm, he hasn't tested them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smo- smooth stones from the stream. Some say that he took five because Goliath had four other brothers. Uh, He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So now he's 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 walking down to the valley. All he has, shepherd's staff, his slingshot, shepherd's pouch, five stones in it. Meanwhile, the Philistine 
with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. You think about Goliath. Goliath has got to be arrogant. He's never been challenged. Maybe except by his other brothers, his giant brothers. He's, he's not afraid of anyone. He's proud and arrogant. And he probably thinks to himself, nothing can stop me. I mean, everybody's afraid of him. Here's the reality. Here's what Goliath didn't know, and here's what you need to know. Everyone reaches the end of their ability. We all reach the end of our strength. There is something, no matter how talented and gifted you are, there's something that can bring you down. It happens to all of us. There are battles that cannot be fought with size or with strength or intelligence or wealth. You know, you can't buy yourself out of death. I mean, T. Boone Pickens was a good guy. seemed to be a pretty good guy. He gave him a lot of money. He's still dead. You can't, in the end, you can't cheat death. You, can't, you can spend a lot of money in hospitals. You can spend a lot of money there, but there's only so much that they can do, right? See, everybody reaches the end of their ability. And here's the reality. God wants you to reach that way before you reach the end of your life. He wants you to recognize that you're dependent upon him at a very early age. That's what happened with David. He learned to depend upon God at a very early age. It's better to depend upon God than him having to teach you to depend upon him. Them have to break you. Because the Bible says very clearly, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't wait to the last judgment to have to bow your knee to the Savior that you were unwilling to bow your knee to in your whole life. Bow now. Say, say yes to Jesus today. Don't resist. Don't fight. Because you can't win. Your arms are too short to box with God. We, God will use great diversity to draw us to him. Luke 14, 11, Jesus said, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all... Those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's pretty good odds right there, isn't it? (laughs) All who exalt themselves will be humbled. So David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds And the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered there will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord. And he will give you, all of you, into our hands. So he he says, okay, all you chickens that are up there waiting, we're all going to fight this battle. 
David didn't start this day expecting a fight. He was just going about his daily life when fight came. You don't wake up one day full of fear and anxiety, and the next day go out and fight a giant. How do you prepare to fight a giant? You got to fight what you're fighting today. You got to fight your daily battles. You have to have faith in God for the battle that you're fighting now. You have to trust God with your fears. What are you afraid of? What are the things that are keeping you up? Things waking you up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know why it's always 3 o'clock in the morning, but it seems to always be 3 o'clock in the morning. What's waking you up at 3 o'clock in the morning? Worry about your finances, worry about your job, worry about your marriage, worry about your children, worry about your life. What are you worried about? What are you fearful of? What are you anxious about? You have to learn how to, at 3 o'clock in the morning, turn that over to God. You have to learn how to fight your fear with faith. You have to trust God with your frustration. You have to trust God with your finances. Who is your source? It's God. Are you trusting God with your finances? Are you giving regularly and sacrificially? Some of you need to look. Are you spending more on your cell phone and your cable bill than you're giving to God? Maybe you need to think about your priorities because they're not going to save you. Just saying. (laughs) You know, you can say whatever you want. Then you say, just saying, it's okay. (laughs) You have to trust God with your children. And you know, just wait till there's a crisis. There's going to be a crisis. Believe me, there's going to be a crisis with your children. You better be ready for that. But you're not, you don't want to start there. You want to be praying for your kids and trusting God. Lord, I trust them in kindergarten. Lord, help them in ten- kindergarten. Lord, help them in the first grade. Lord, help them in the second grade. You're going to be, ha- in other words, because there's going to be difficult days. Where do you learn how to fight that battle? Earlier, before, late. See, David had a faith, and David had a faith in God that was born out of his relationship with God. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That's the technical, the technical definition of faith. But real faith is birthed in relationship. David loved God because he knew God loved him. I mean, here's this little, here's this little boy who's out with the sheep and he's got his guitar. He's got his heart and he's out there worshiping. And if you read the Psalms, you think, man, this guy had a revelation of who God was. He understood who God was. He he saw Jesus on the cross. He saw prophetically Jesus on the cross. He had some pretty good worship services there out on Shepherd's Hill. And he, the Lord, he, he understood about God's omnipotence, his power and his might and his glory and his omniscience, that he knows everything. He, he, he just in worship and the limited amount of the word of God, the Torah, there wasn't, it wasn't like he had a book he could carry out into the, out into the field. It was very limited that they would have very limited numbers of scriptures that were handwritten. People didn't have them in their home. They had them in in synagogues. They had them in temples. They had it in the temple. It was just things he had heard and remembered, and the word had produced faith in his heart. That word, and he mixed it. He had a relationship with God so that he believed. He believed this. He was convinced of this, that God loves me. 
Oh, my strength, I sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. You believe that? You say, you can't fight a battle until you understand who God is and how he feels about you. Who God is and how he feels about you. If you think God's mad at you, that you've disappointed God, that you haven't done enough, that you don't measure up, that you're not good enough yet, that later on, maybe if you keep trying harder, then God will be pleased with you, then you don't understand what Jesus did on the cross for you. Jesus dying on the cross is God declaring his love for you. He is declaring how much he loves you. He wants you to understand. He wants that to be the foundation of your life, that you know that God loves you. And then because of what Jesus did, when you give your life to Christ, I am accepted into the beloved. I'm accepted to God, not because of what I've done, not because I've kept all my, you know, crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's and I did everything right and I've never made any mistakes. I've never said anything wrong or done anything wrong. No, no, no. I've messed up probably every day. But... The price for my righteousness was paid by Jesus Christ. And if I get a hold of that, I got to get a hold of that because, and David got of that. David understood. He understood that Jesus died for him. Jesus said, David saw my day and rejoiced. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. The little boy singing on a side of a hill got glimpses of the glory of God that it touched his heart in such a way that he believed God loved him and he loved God. It stirred his heart for love for God. He realized, oh, this is a God who loves me so much. He's going to die for me. David's faith was born out of experience. He had, he had seen the line of the bear fall. So as the Philistine moved closer, to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reached into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the, on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So this happened very rapidly. This is like a 15 second battle. Think about it. I mean, they're, they're running toward each other and you think Goliath's going boom, boom, boom. I'm thinking, I see David running through his legs, zigzagging around, you know, ha 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 ha, you know, got him. Because David's got to be quick. And Goliath has got to be slow, right? But anyway, David just stands back and he lets go. Now, you can throw a, you can throw a baseball, someone, I can't, but a good pitcher can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour. With a sling, you multiply the effect with leverage, centrifugal force and leverage, and so you can increase that. So I don't want to get hit by a 100 mile an hour fastball. Uh, and, and you can't, you almost, it, you have to learn how to hit a hundred mile fastball because you have to make a decision to hit the fastball, to start swinging about, about <laughs> a nanosecond after it leaves the pitcher's hand. You don't have to get, you don't get to say, Oh, it looks like it's going to come down the middle of the plate. You have to, by experience, when it leaves his hand, you have to understand where it's going to go. And hope it goes there. And that's why you think, how did that guy get hit? Because he didn't know where it was going to go. You don't, they don't have any time. That's at 100 miles an hour. Now, just make it 150 miles an hour. And don't make it a baseball that's made out of a cork core, string, and horsehide. Make it a rock. And so that rock hit Goliath. And right here, this is actually the bridge of your nose 
is a, and you didn't have to kill him, you just had to knock him out. I guarantee if you get hit with a rock, 150 miles an hour, right in the middle of your forehead, you're going down. And he went down. Now, here's what I believe happened. I think David was really good with sling. Because he, he practiced. And that's key. But something happened is that God, between the, between the stone leaving David's sling and hitting Goliath in the forehead, God multiplied David's effort and participated with him in making it not only hit the exact right spot, but with the force necessary. See, that's what God does. You've got to show up to the battle. I mean, somebody had to walk down there and say, you're going down, big boy. God's taking you down. Somebody had to do that. Nobody, all Israel, nobody was willing to do that. Little boy says, I'll do it. And he stands out and says, hey, hey, you uncircumcised Philistine. I don't know why you got to bring that up. You, you're going down. You're not a keeper of the covenant. You don't know about God. You don't know about the God we serve. You, you've got your little regional deities. You've got Dagon, the fish god, and you've got, you got Asher, your little, your little fertility goddess. They're all regional. You know, you've got your little temples for them. Our God's not. He doesn't dwell in the temple made with hands. He's not, he's not a God. He is the God. And you have defied him. And you're going to fall today. And so he just stands before him and God multiplies the force. That's what God does in your life. You show up. You got you to get in the battle. You got you to be there. You got to give it to God. You got to have faith. You got to stand and trust him. You got to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. And then God multiplies our ability. Makes us sufficient to the task. Makes us able to accomplish what he, And so, you know. Goliath hits the ground. David runs. I don't know what happened to the armor bearer. We never hear from this guy again. He took off running. He's in Alaska. You know, we never hear about the armor bearer again. He's gone. I mean, he should have been right there. Like after Goliath went down, he should have said, okay, hey, I'm going to protect my guy. No, he just left. And so David walks over, takes Goliath's sword because he doesn't have a sword says he kills him and then cuts off his head, which seems like wasted effort. If you're going to cut off his head, you probably didn't have to kill him. <laughs> so it's probably going to do the work, right? And that's it. And guess what happens? Do the Philistines say, bow down and say, oh, now we'll be your servants. No, they take off because the devil is a liar. The devil is always a liar. He's always been a liar, and he'll always be a liar. He never, he never comes through on his end of the, of the bargain. So here's what I want you to get. If you don't get this, the battle is the Lord's. Your battle, if you're his, if you belong to him, the battle that you're facing, you don't face alone. The struggle that you're in, the things that you're dealing with, the daily stuff, give it to God. Get, don't wait for the big stuff. Give what you got today. Give your battle today to the Lord. 
Give the things you're worrying about, the things you're anxious about, the things that are troubling you, the things that are waking up. You give those things to God. The battle is the Lord's. You are not in a battle alone. You are the Lord of the universe is on your side. And he is going to amplify. When you let go of that stone with the best of your ability, I'm doing, David's like, huh. I'm going to do the best I can. With the best of your ability, God's going to take it and multiply it to meet the need. Because he can do anything. The battle is the Lord. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to, some of you need to begin to speak to the enemy and remind him who you are. Because Goliath, David didn't make that pronouncement to the armies of Israel. He made it to Goliath. He said to the Goliath, the battle is the Lord's. He was like, you don't even know what I'm talking about, but I want you to understand this. You're going to lose this battle not because of me, but because of who you really picked a fight with. You picked a fight with the God of the universe, and you're going to lose. So sometimes you need to remember. See, David understood. He knew who he was, and he knew how much God loved him. And he knew what God had anointed him to do. And he was thinking, you know, I'm not king yet. So he's not done with me yet. This, there may be a day when I'm dead, but this isn't it. Because I'm not even king yet. <laughs> so you need to be able to say, hey, hey, hey. The battle's the Lord's. I don't think you know who I am. Julia Harriman. Okay, I know I'm past time, y'all. I'm sorry. I, I get it. I get it. You want me to quit? Okay, I'm trying. I'm trying. Give it to God. And then be able to turn to the enemy and say, listen, you don't understand who I am. I am a child of the king. You're not coming against me. You're, you're not. You're right. You're right. I'm weak and limited, but he's strong. Everything I can't do, he can do. You're not coming against me in my own strength and ability. You are coming against the God of the universe whose I am. I belong to him. Amen. I'm going to have to quit. I have no choice. Let's stand. We were going to sing at the end, but I just preached too long, so we'll just... Just hum it to yourself as you leave. <laughs> now, some of you, you need to hear that today. You need to get a hold of that. The battle is the Lord's. Get a hold of it. That's what the Lord just laid it on my heart so strongly that you needed to hear that and hold on to it. The battle is the Lord's. It's not mine, but I have to, I have to be involved. I've got to show up. But ultimately, the battle is the Lord's. The strength and the ability is going to be from him and through him. So, Father, some of you right now, you need to say, Lord, I'm giving this battle to you. I've been worrying about it. I've been anxious about it. I've been trying to solve it on my own. Lord, I'm turning this over to you. I'm turning over these little battles right now. I'm turning this. I'm giving it up to you, Lord. I'm casting it upon you. The battle is the Lord's. Just declare that and just declare it to the enemy. 
The battle is the Lord's. It's beyond me. It's beyond my ability, but it's not beyond him. I belong to him. I'm his child. He calls me by my name. He chose me before the foundation of the world. He redeemed me with the power of his death on the cross and resurrection. He made me his own. He made me his child. And he's given me eternity and purpose and destiny. I am his. It's his battle. And he fights on my behalf. I never fight alone. Because the God of the universe is on my side. The battle is the Lord's. Say that with me. The battle is the Lord's. In Jesus' name, amen.